hello everyone and welcome to Guitar Tales. I am really excited about our next guest, uh, Dave Gellis. I, I never asked you how to pronounce your Gellis. That's correct. It's not Galise. Well, you know, that's what dad told me. So I ha I'm going with what he said. And you're sure it's not like a J sound? It's not like Jealous or something like that? To the best of my knowledge. Okay. I'll take what I can get, David. That's good. All right. So um, I, I thought of one funny thing that I should ask you. I think it would be a shorter interview if you tell us who you haven't played with. <laughs> who I haven't played with. Let's see. It's a, it's a, it's a list. There's a list. Well, all right. Um, so let's do the reverse. Well, yeah. I, I, a, I was, you go, you go. I, I don't mean to speak over you. Sometimes there's a bit of a lag and it makes, yeah. uh, yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I've had some good experiences, but I, I wasn't the guy that played with everybody. It was, there was good opportunity and it lasted a long time. And, uh, you know, um, we have the experiences that we have that I was lucky. I was lucky. It was good. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, uh, I, I did a little dive on YouTube and stuff like that. And I would, yeah. I would attribute more than luck uh, to the success you've had. I watched some of those solos and uh, they were really good. Um, well, you're very kind. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. There, there are times when I'm a very, very, very amateur guitar player. And uh, there are times when I'm not willing to play guitar on the show, and you would be one of those times. I'm not picking up a guitar. <laughs> it's not a contest. I know, I know. <laughs> so I want, I want to, you know, sort of work on your bona fides a little bit here. I, I know that the one that I suspect you were the most proud of would be Blood, Sweat, and Tears because you gave them almost 30 years of your life, right? Well, it's certainly on a longevity standpoint, it, the, the time span was the longest. I wasn't a continuous member the whole time. I came and okay. went numerous times. Uh, I started in 85 and I ended up in 2018. So that's 33 years. I wow. did it until, until 20, uh, 2016, I left it full time. And there were many hiatuses and some of them lasted a long time. And they came... Uh, as a result of other professional opportunities that arose, which were good for me to have. And then I um, I stood aside for 12 years and got out of music. Really? And yeah, a lot of people don't, I mean, my friends know that, but acquaintances don't always know that. I took a, a, a block of time in the nineties and just zipped up my guitar case for 12 years. You are our second guest who said that. Yeah. Kenny, um, you know Kenny Dubman? I don't know Kenny, but there's a lot I don't know. Yeah, but he did the same thing and came back. So let me ask you this. And, and yeah. one of the things I love about Guitar Tales, I find a, a lot of recurrent themes on this show. So let's see how this plays out. Um, how do you feel as an artist or how did you feel as an artist when you came back? I was a little nervous because it was a long time. Yeah. And I was coming back at a, a pretty high level, like my first foray back would be on large concert stages and with big lights and sound in front of paying audiences. I wasn't, you know, offered a way in the back door to practice in, you know, six weeks in a club to get it together. Wow. And uh, I obtained a new instrument because my instruments had, were a little long in the tooth. And so I had a new instrument in my hands and, you know, several weeks or I don't even remember, but I put in a period of time in the woodshed to get my stuff together again. Uh, Blood, Sweat, and Tears had disbanded in 2004. Okay. And they decided to give it a shot again in 2006. In 2004, David Clayton Thomas left for the last time and they okay. put it to bed. 
and the wisdom was original members, right? Well, no, Semi. nobody, nobody was even Clayton's not original, as okay. you probably know. Al Cooper was the original singer. All oh, right, right, right. But, but you know, many of the guys, uh, a lot of guys came and went. A lot of great guys came and went. Uh, many people. I'll digress for just a second. Yeah, yeah, former yeah. Member, former members of Blood, Sweat, and Tears: Jocko Pastorius, Mike Saw Stern, that. Joe Henderson. I mean, great, great players. Some of them were in for a minute and out. Others did fairly long tours of duty. Other guys hit and run. So when uh, when I got back into it, um, they said, well, can we do it without Clayton? And it seemed odd to think of that because he is the sound of the hits. But they decided to roll the dice and see what would happen. And to, I think every, forgive my ringing phone. Oh, that, I have uh, a dog annoying me now. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. to, um, to somewhat the surprise of many of us, it wasn't. A, it was a non-issue, and what we'd failed to think about was that the people that came to see the show were not musicians who knew the lineage and the history right. and all this stuff. They loved the songs. They, they grew up with these songs. And although my approach is always from the technical and musical end of things, I'd be foolish not to recognize what was appealing to our audience. And so right. we, we we didn't call that one right. So to answer your question, I re-entered in 2006 after a okay. long hiatus and they put it back on the road and it was fairly seamless. Listen, I knew the songs and the material. I'd been playing it for, for years and years. Was it like so, a riding the bike kind of thing? Absolutely. It was really I should have said, talent. was it like sax? How would I know? <laughs> That's right, you're an old man now. <laughs> no, it was like, get your calluses together and you'll be okay because this part yeah. is, is all right. Right. Oh, that's great. So, so <laughs> if I can ask, and, and if and if it's too personal, then I, you know, I won't. But are you oh. comfortable talking about why you left music for um, over a decade? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. okay. I'd had a really good run. I'll give you the fast story. I started yeah, yeah. off in the Jersey clubs, like everybody else in Jersey did. It was a vibrant scene. It nurtured unbelievable amounts of great musicianship. Oh my God! Yeah. And and the alumni is a who's who of American music today. Right. Absolutely. So I came up through the clubs. My last cover band in the club, clubs, uh, was full of really good players. The lead vocalist was Joe Lynn Turner from Rainbow, from wow. Deep Deep Purple, Ingve Malmsteen, and all of his success. Uh, the the drummer is a uh, producer for Smokey Robinson these days. These this was just the guys you played with in Jersey cover bands back then. So as a result of all this. I got an, a couple of opportunities. I had an opportunity to, to do a recording session with David Clayton Thomas when he was a solo artist in the early 80s. I got an audition oh. and subsequently the gig to play on Roger Glover's solo album. He's the bass player and producer of Deep Purple and Rainbow. And wow. I got a, a, a referral from Joe Lynn Turner, who was a singer. And uh, later on, an audition for Blood, Sweat and Tears when they reformed and Meatloaf when they reformed and, or when they needed me to fill in for a couple of years in the late eighties. And uh, so through, I, I've lost my point, re-entering so, the music. So system. we're gonna lead up to, you know, what led to, so we're, we're, we're talking about your early career and then we're yeah. talking about, oh, I'm talking, I'm talking to a musician right now. Yeah, I put him on the air once in a while. Here's the jerk who's annoying. This is Bo. Hi, Bo. He's a jerk. He gets very jealous when we have the show. All right, Joe. It's all about it's all about you, Bo. 
It is, I know. So spelled B E A U X, by the way. Um, oh, that's very good. A lot of silent letters. Yeah, my son named it. Um, so what we were leading up to is you took this 12 year hiatus from music. And as you said, you literally closed up your guitar cases, you zipped them up. So, so what was it that led to that? All right. So here's, here's what happened. I got to 1990, early 90s, 91, 92. I was 40 years old. I was single. I was renting a house with another musician, a male musician. I was living kind of like a frat, like a dorm existence oh, I, yeah. with a lot of musicians. And I, I just, I got cold feet. I was playing with Meatloaf. Okay. We warmed up for Extreme one night. Really? And where is it? Uh, the Roberto Clemente Arena in San Juan, Puerto Rico. And I'm standing 10 feet away from Nuno Betancourt watching this guy play going, oh, I have to quit guitar now. Because, and, and I didn't mean that on a competition standpoint. I was feeling, dude, you're 40 years old. You got hair down to here. You're wearing tight leather pants, pretending to be a rock star. You don't own a home. You don't have a family. You don't have a, a, an IRA. You don't have, your health insurance sucks. What are you doing? Mm. So, so I had a little bit of crisis of confidence uh, and I decided to take all the money I had saved up, all the money I could borrow and combine it with a friend of mine who had a business idea and we spent tens of thousands of dollars buying a bunch of computer gear and I ended up sitting in a basement office that we created, living off my credit cards for two and a half years while I learned how to operate Photoshop, Quark and Illustrator in order to create a desktop publishing and video studio. Wow. It had a slow start and then all of a sudden took off and for about 10 years did unbelievably well. Our clients were uh, record companies, major record companies, and it was our job to uh, do the cover art, the advertising, the posters, the postcards, the every ancillary type of graphic content that is used to promote new records. And back in the day, they were selling a lot of records, David, and they had yeah. deep pockets and they had deep pockets to go outsource giant art department budgets. So the year 2000 rolls around. Do you remember Napster? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, Do I? how, how salty can a language get here? Oh, we could <laughs> fucking talk about anything. Yeah. Dude, it, it was, it was a bloodbath. We got fucked. And the reason oh. is people stopped buying records overnight. And all of these deep pockets turned into empty pockets. They stopped hiring oh. uh, art, art houses to do all this work. They would put one or two guys in the office, give them 60K and benefits and save themselves from writing checks for $650,000 all year long to do all this stuff. They wow. got smart. They did what my partner and I had said to each other through all this. Why are, they, why are they hiring us? This is like, but it's kind of the same way if you own a, um, a car dealership, do you want to have an art department or do you want to just hire an artist to do your ads? Right. There right. comes a point. So they were doing it the rich guy's way because they were rich guys. And then when they stopped selling records, they had to change. So I was in, I was in deep shit, to be honest with you. I mean, I have a high school diploma. I never okay. took a guitar lesson. I can't really... really yeah, I can't really effectively teach guitar. I can I can help intermediate players get 
way better real quick. But I can't give anybody a method because I don't have a method because I, I didn't study. So now what do I do? So I scuffled for a couple of years trying to figure out what to do next. I'm 52. Yeah. My business is just uh, gone belly up because there, nobody's hiring art departments to do this stuff anymore. And, and you have infrastructure you, that's costing you money. I, I wasn't the artist, I should stop to say. I was hiring artists. I'm very good on the technical end, pre-press right. and layout and uh, doing the things to coordinate the business and make the connections and make it all run. I learned, uh, I'm certified on Macintosh computers, so I kept 12 computers networked and properly loaded with fonts and apps and troubleshooting and all the crap that goes with that. And... Um, I did home improvement for a year and a half, carrying tiles and sawing wood and hitting my thumb with a hammer and, and you know, just doing what I had to do. And one day in early 2006, the phone rings. I pick up the phone, hello. And you've seen the Blues Brothers movie? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're getting the band and back together. <laughs> we're getting the band back together. Wow, look at that. Would, would you be interested? So I took my time, I took 6.4 seconds and I went, right. okay. And just so, as soon as I hung up the phone, I was like, ah! And so, you know, I, you won't get rich playing music, but I got back to doing what it was that I probably should have been doing all along, but not really because the punchline is during that time, the business did really well. Right. I did very well financially. I invested myself very well financially that took care of myself pretty much I can retire. And right. I met and married the greatest girl I ever met. Wow. And she, she had two young daughters who were no, both beautiful adults. Uh, my oldest daughter is about to have a baby and she's getting her doctorate at the same time. She's a psychologist in a high school in Northern New Jersey. Other daughter is doing quite well and has a great life. I've got a beautiful family, a beautiful home. Everything I couldn't get with the music business came to me by stepping aside for a decade. And then it was all returned to me like a gift. Are you, are you a believer? Are you a believer in the universe? Well, I'm not sure what that means. Well, with a uh, capital U, like sometimes the universe will kind of take care of you. You know, um, I... <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if the bad guy always got what was coming to him and, and good things happen to good people? Uh, my, my experience has shown me that's not really always the case. Right. And I'm not, I'm not a believer in uh, supernatural stuff. So I have a narrow lane to travel to formulate how I see it. Because right, I, right. Don't, I don't suspend disbelief. I don't believe stuff without evidence. Oh, all right, gotcha. However, I will say you know, there's a ghost right behind you right now. I'm looking at him. What's that? A ghost? That's yeah, right. That's Draco Pastorius. Oh, there you go. <laughs> um, that I feel that I've had a ray of sun that has followed me my entire life. And that uh, everything that you just said, like, do you believe in, like, whatever it is? I don't believe in anything supernatural, but I'll tell you for sure that I have been so lucky in my life and I would love to thank the universe for that. I don't go. really have a, a personality that I'd like to thank for it, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> that's, it, it's really, you know, I think that's such a great story. And you're right, like, you know, whatever it is or whatever it isn't, the way your life played out, 
you needed those 10 years because it, it set you up beautifully, personally, financially. And then, yeah, as soon as 10, really 12 years is up, your phone rings. That's fantastic. That really yeah. is. It was really unbelievable. I, I, I don't know how to explain it, but quite, quite lucky. Quite lucky. So that was, what do you say, 2008, 2008? 2006 is when I got the calls. And I went and I did another you know, 12 years after that. So, wow. So you, you and, toured with them. So they, that's your sort of your biggest gig you've ever had is being with those guys, right? Well, it's the one, it's the one that lasted the longest. Um, I did other gigs that were very good. I was with Stanley Clark for a summer in 1986. I played with a band called Pieces of a Dream. And we opened for Miles Davis at the Hollywood oh Bowl. God. I mean, it, it was like, well, how did that happen? So, so when you, when you, you were as humble as you're acting about your guitar ability, you're not playing with Stanley Clark if, you, if you're not, okay, you know. And that, that's, a, that's a pretty serious gig. Yeah, I had some gigs with Arturo Sandoval and, uh, and other groups that are completely different than that. Uh, Chuck Negron, Three Dog Night, you know, Jeremiah oh, really? the Bullfrog. You know, the huge audience show up for that. It's not heady jazz and it's not crazy fusion. But, uh, man, you know, tens of thousands of people screaming at you. It's, it's, it's exciting. Let me say one thing. If I had one thing to say to anybody, you know, people don't come to me and say, hey, Dave, tell me what you've learned, you know. But right. wait, wait, hold on. That... Dave, tell me what you learned. <laughs> I can't do that head shake like yours quite as well. When you want to get the girls and you put the potato in your pants, you got to make sure you put it in the front. <laughs> no, here's what I've learned. That's like that's a very vaudeville of you. <laughs> the thrill that you get when you're 17 years old playing a guitar in a garage that hurts your ears and everybody sucks beyond description. The right. thrill, the feeling you get in your chest from that, you'll be chasing that the rest of your life, no matter how good you get. You could wow. be standing on the edge of the stage at Madison Square Garden with the pin spot on you. I had this experience. We're opening for the Allman Brothers and the, wow. so, the lights on me. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, this is kind of cool. It, but it wasn't that, oh, man. Really? Yeah. And so now pl I play in local clubs with my friends and smaller bands, nothing famous, nothing, you know, there's nothing, it's just... But the fun that I've learned to recapture from playing, when you extract, oh, okay, it doesn't have to be uh, super profitable. I don't have to be the lead. This, I don't. It doesn't matter what I wear. Uh, the lights suck. We don't have a stage tonight. These, these aren't thoughts that I have. I can now right. really communicate with the music in a no pressure way, that sort of gets me close back to really enjoying it a lot again. That's and really cool. The big secret about a cover band. Oh, yeah, you fucking loser. You're playing a cover band. No, I'm not a loser. I get to pick the music that I play out of everything that's ever come across my, my you know, no matter how, if you want to do a weather report tune, you want to do a Cindy Lauper tune, you want to, you know, you want to do a whatever you want. You want to rearrange it. Um, so yeah. the, the musical freedom and, and gratification you can get from it is really only limited by what you decide to do with it. You know, I would say the majority of the folks we've had on Guitar Tales in the last year and a half or so 
have been in cover bands and we've really taken a lot of deep dives into that. And, you know, my, my favorite thing that I also get out of it is that what I've heard universally from everyone who is good and successful is they are there for the, mu for the musical experience of the people in attendance. And, and, and that's where they get the greatest joy is feeling the love come back to them uh, from the audience. And, and I, I have yet to have a guest on the show who's narcissistic. We've been really fortunate. Um, and instead, we have people who really are focused on delivering, you know, as I like to put it, they're delivering joy uh, to the people yeah. in attendance. Absolutely. Well, it's a little hard to be narcissistic in 2021 because there's very little to validate us anymore. There's, the business is gone, as you know, David. There's, there's nothing there. Right. If you were to take the local cover scene away, there's nothing, unless you're in an A-list band, and how many of those, we can name them. There yeah. aren't that many. Uh, the middle strata has been pushed out. The, there's no record sales. Forget right. COVID, COVID, COVID just killed everybody. I mean, if, right. you owned a candy, if you owned a candy store last year, you made more than Taylor Swift made if you track publishing money. Right, so right. No, nobody's working. But um, if you don't get your validation from within, yeah, I don't know where it's coming from. We're in a, you know how long hair, short hair, back and forth, it comes in. Or no hair. Pants. No hair, right. Oh, you're better than I am. You're pretty good. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, that, don't, don't, even, <laughs> don't even start. I don't want to hear. <laughs> so my point is this. When, when uh, live music, well, first of all, when rock music fell out of vogue in the late 70s a little bit. Yeah. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, it's disco. Oh no, it came back, it came back. 80s was like new wave. All right, that's almost it. And then the 90s had some like, you know, grungy rock stuff. Okay, that's right, good. Right. And then it, it went away and it never came back. And then live music went away and it never came back. Yeah, and it's right. now been so long that if it was coming back, it would have come back. It will have to now be reborn because it's not coming back. There's no tenuous connection to the who. That's right. gone. Yeah. And so for musicians to be looking for validation, uh, that's a rough one because you're going to get no remuneration from financial sources. And the best you can hope for is a bar full of people who really like what you're doing, unless you happen to be in Billy Joel's band. I have a bunch of friends in that band and in this band and that band. You know, these are the lucky guys, the few guys that still have it going. Yeah, they had to take last year off, but they'll be back. Right, right. But if you subtract them from the mix. Ugh. Right. And, and like you said, for live music, people are going for the songs, not the musicians. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is the yeah. songs. Otherwise, as a cover band, you, you'd be seen as a poser. They don't say, hey, you're not the original artist. They, they right. like the song. Right. So now, now, what have you been doing during COVID? How have you been musically conducting your life? I stayed in the house for 12 months and watched Netflix. <laughs> I did another hiatus. This one was a little higher. Oh, that's Double funny. Hiatus. Oh, uh, I get it. I get it. No, I, I honestly, I didn't play. I did some um, sessions. This is a Pro Tools system behind me. So I've been sent some tracks. I did a record for somebody about eight or nine tracks. And I've been doing some one-offs for people. I play uh, occasionally in a tribute band called Royal Scam, which is a Steely Dan tribute band. That's Although, not easy stuff. No, it's not. And my tenure with them started uh, 
two months before COVID. So I had okay. one gig under my belt. So that's going to pick up again. I've done a couple of videos, like one of those, you know, what they call these distancing videos with the yeah, everyone has their own and, box. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we've we've done those and they're fun. Uh, Lou right. Marini's been playing sax with us, so that's been kind of cool. I grew up with Lou, you know, and uh, to be able to play with these guys that you know, I don't know. I, it's because I'm only me. I'm nobody else. It's sometimes I have to remember not everybody found themselves on stage with people who they looked up to growing up right singing holy shit when i was 15 years old i was going to blood sweat and tears concerts backstage because my dad who was a dentist and a musician okay. was the dentist for the horn players in blood sweat and tears because in new york city it became known that if you have an embouchure you know what that refers to yeah it's uh, uh, the dent the, de the dental makeup of a horn player that has to force air through okay. a mouthpiece, either, either a reed or a mouthpiece, and the musculature that surrounds it. If you need any restorative dentistry around these front teeth, you better be fucking careful what you do. Because if you get cosmetic work done, it may change everything about your musical relationship to your mouthpiece. Wow. So it, it became well known in New York that the guys in the Tonight Show band, which was in New York at the time, and okay, Blood, Sweat, yeah. and Tears, who are New York guys, go to Dr. Gellis. He has respect oh. for what you're dealing with. So I digress for a moment just to say, oh, it's good. I was backstage with Blood, Sweat, and Tears. I wasn't even a guitar player yet. I didn't even start playing until I was 17. So years later, unrelated to my dad, I find myself in a recording studio auditioning amongst seven other guitar players for the guitar seat in Blood, wow. Sweat, and Tears, and I get the gig. That's Later amazing. On, I'm playing with I'm playing on an album with the guy who wrote Smoke on the Water and I'm replacing Richie Blackmore in his own band. Wow. I had these experiences that um they're kind of hard to describe because when they happen they're so overpowering and then when they happen over and over again I Did you, I did you like guy. actually was he cut or had he quit the band or Well I'm not going to shit talk anybody, but here's the deal. Yeah. Roger, Roger Glover. What's your fucking Roger, language on guitar tales? <laughs> blow me. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Roger is the bass player in Deep Purple. Okay. Roger, Roger and Richie have been mostly together through this whole journey. There have been hiatuses. Roger left. Other guys came in. But in the modern era, Roger is the bass player who wrote the lyrics to Smoke on the Water and became the producer for Deep Purple. Okay. And when Deep Purple took some time off, they became Rainbow. It was Richie's other project, Richie Blackmore's okay. Rainbow. Okay. Roger, Roger got a deal with Polydor Records to do a solo record in 1984. And he decided to use Rainbow, but Richie has proven to be a challenging personality to some people over the years. Okay. How's, gotcha. how's that? Is that good? Yeah, very diplomatic. And so Roger asked some people who might be some guys that I might think about on guitar? And his lead vocalist was my former lead vocalist, not mine, but one who we worked together, Joe Lynn Turner. And he said, call Dave Gellis. And so <laughs> that's how I ended up with Roger. Wow. And where was that going? Oh, I was, so, oh yeah. So then 
So I was trying to figure out how you replaced Richie, but that's oh, the so that's how I replaced Richie. Roger wanted, uh, uh, I guess, a peaceful recording sessions. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> and you gave I him have, that. I asked him. You know, I went out to to eat with him after the first day we recorded. We uh, he rented a recording studio in Long Island called Boogie Hotel, and it had rooms, so bands would go and just stay there. So you weren't commuting, and you could kind of get into it and whatever. Right. And we went out after the first day of recording. We went out and had uh, a diner meal together. And of course, I'm this starstruck kid. Like, I'm, I'm here with Roger Glover. And I, yeah. I said all the wrong things. Oh, what an honor it is to be here. Nothing makes you look like a loser more than to say that. Uh, <laughs> I guess. I said, it. I said it. But anyway, as the meal went on, I wanted to know because everybody wants to know about these stories. So I asked, like, so what's the deal with this guy? Right, right. So I, got, I, I got a little bird's eye view. <laughs> wow. So I, I, I have a story to share that just happened. So oh, okay. I, I, uh, we promote bootlegger guitars here on Guitar Tales. And as yeah. you're sharing that story, I heard some chewing going on beneath me. And I pulled this out of my dog's mouth. Change the way it's in the light. Oh, it's a guitar knob? What is that? Is it a volume control? He took the volume control off the front of a guitar. He ate all of them. All three? All three? Yes. <laughs> oh, man. You little fucker. I, you know what? That's why you're a fucker. I heard oh. there's chewing going on. And the, oh. other, and the other scary part, there's three gone. And I only have, I know my video is a little delayed right here. Yeah. This is all, wait, let me try to get in front of the camera. Oh, I That is that. all that's left. I don't know where the rest are. I have a drawer full. You want some? I get, they're fender knobs, right? Uh, I don't know who makes them, but I'm taking this guitar away. I'm going to put it up on my desk here. Bo, why did you do it, Bo? Yeah. Couldn't we have couldn't we have talked about it first? I know. You know, he heard me insult him <laughs> on our little show, and he just quietly went to town on my beautiful bootlegger guitar. Oh, sorry to hear that. But yeah, you know, the knob the knobs are plastic, and they have more at the store. Yeah, I know. So it'll be just <laughs> fine. So, so who else? You know, with, I could talk to you for ten hours, but but give me a couple other stories of some big bands. Like, what's the biggest? audience you've ever the largest audience you've ever played for ah we played at the olympic stadium in seoul south korea it holds eighty thousand, but it was at night and it's really hard for me on stage to tell how many people are in it because the 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 re the recesses as they go back it gets darker and right uh, a huge venue i've done the garden and you know, all the local big sheds like Garden's Nancy over 50,000, right? No, 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 no. The Garden's 21. That's it? But, yeah, but believe me, when it's full, you feel like you're not no, alone. I know. I've <laughs> seen many shows there, but yeah. I, I guess that I'm just a bad uh, estimator of crowd size. Well, it's hard to. Uh, we played at Huntington, Long Island on a big open lawn for about 18,000 with Blood, Sweat, and Tears a few years ago. But, you know, it's one of these municipal things that's open to the public and the town right. fathers pay the band. And so, you know, you're getting a lot of people coming out to see a free show. But you, the point is, yes, when it gets to be that big, when you can't see the end where it goes back so far and you can't see it, it doesn't yeah. matter if there's more people. Yeah. And, and, and the, 
So the first time you ever played in front of a really large audience, uh, did did you? What were your? Well, I won't put words in your mouth. What were your emotions? Utter stage fright, David. Utter yeah. stage fright. I I have no stage fright now. I will. I, it's good. It goes for me. It went away. Uh, but there were two days in my life that I will never forget. And the first one was when I joined Blood, Sweat and Tears in 85. And our first job was, a, it wasn't a big deal. It was in a big tent. Uh, I might've held a thousand, I don't know. It was up in Syracuse maybe, right. but I'm five feet off the stage. There's professional sound and lights. I'm coming from cover bands playing locally. And I, I didn't know how to handle that. By the end of the show, everything was good. The second time, I have a friend who was managing a guitar center in Edison, New Jersey. Okay, and Joe he, Loria? He, well, it was, uh, uh, please forgive me. I'll, it'll come to me in a minute. Greg yeah. Steer. Okay. Greg Steer. Good job, you pulled that one out. Uh, pulled out the hard drive. Route, route 28 in uh was that edison yeah i guess it's funny anyway yeah okay go on. and he said listen we have a uh, an over 35 guitar club all these guys come and they're you know they're professionals they have jobs but they're really into guitar and we like to get pros to come and speak to them would you come and i thought oh, okay sure and the day came and my face turned white my hands were sweating i know what to do with a guitar but if you take the guitar away and I had to oh, speak. That's interesting. I thought I, was, I thought I was gonna pass out. I got through it. And I've been the, the uh, president of my condo association for 21 years. I talk to groups of people every month. I'm over it. I can walk to the edge of a stage where this, the audience never ends and it, I'm not nervous. I may suck, but I'm not nervous about it. Right, right, right. So I got over that. But if your question was, how did I feel? I was uncomfortable, and that's being generous. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ooh, or be, yeah. Wow, you know, when that's you, interesting. When you, when you practice your shit sitting on the end of the bed, and you're practicing shit, you're not thinking about performance. I'm not right. thinking about where does my, you know, what do I do? How do I look confident? Am I confident? What yeah. am I, are they laughing at me over there? Who are they pointing at? You know, it's just, uh, you know, I think anybody's going to have that unless you're, uh, a narcissist. <laughs> no, you're right. You know, uh, one of my old bosses, um, you know, said to me, uh, he, he had a trial and he was nervous and he's had many, many seven figure verdicts under his belt. And he said, the day you stop being nervous is the day you should stop trying cases. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah. We want to be edgy. You don't want to be, uh, 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 complacent. Right. Right. That's a good word. Right. And, because and, that, yeah. that'll be perceived as well. You don't want to be seen as timid and intimidated and you don't want to seem complacent right but there's a there's a, a pretty wide road in the middle and you can find your place in there yeah, um, yeah. i got criticized on <laughs> ticketmaster has a part of their website where you can critique still exists yeah well who yeah. knows yeah, yeah. Uh, the only tickets they're selling is to vaccine shots now but right there's a place you can go if you buy a show to uh, buy a ticket to see xyz band at a show Right. You may, when the show is over, go back and critique it. And uh, I got a critique, a negative review. Uh, let me get it. I'm going to re read it if I could. Oh, yeah, it. I want to hear it. Oh, here it is. Is it framed? 
I have it on my desktop. Oh, I, wa I want to hear this. I got to bring this to you. Hold on. I don't know if you can see this. Is that I visible? Can. Lead guitarist is very annoying. Guitar playing was good. However, his onstage gyrations and silly smiles to me felt like I was at a teenage concert. Brass section was impeccable. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my, I, I must have fucked up there because I was performing too much. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so I, 22 years ago, I wrote my one and only ever screenplay. And really? Yeah, yeah. And through, and I think I had a great idea, but I, uh, my execution was really bad. Uh, so through some strange connections, I was able, I got a lot of reads in Hollywood, believe it or not. But one of them was the guy who um, produced or directed the movie Traffic. Remember that movie? Like once in the yes. category. So Absolutely. The very what, top. Oh, no, I, I know the director. Who's, who's the director? My, my connection, I don't remember his name. If he said it, I might recognize it. I remember who the director is for Traffic because I know some of the other work he did. But anyway, go ahead. So I got a read from him. And in Hollywood, if they review um, a screenplay, it's called coverage. That's the term of art they use. I had a handwritten coverage report from him. And my favorite line that I got from him, the dialogue is so bad, it often leads to unintended laughter. Oh. <laughs> it was, oh, it hurt. And it was appropriate. It was appropriate. Ouch. Ouch. But, you know, he was right. Hey, um, if, he ever, if he ever needs a lawyer, charge him plenty. That's right. That's right. I don't, I don't think he needs anyone. But, um, yeah. So I got to tell you, this is, I, I, like I said, I can go um, for three hours with you. I haven't even looked at the clock, but I'm sort of feeling like we're probably a little past our sweet spot of a half hour. Um, my dog, who is clearly getting impatient with me. <laughs> Uh, this was great. Um, and I will say this, um, we hope to be back in the studio at some point, and I'd love to get you for a studio show too. We'll let you play a little bit too. Your yeah. pleasure. Oh, this I'm not great. too scared. If I'm not uh, yeah, that's scared. right. Yeah. There'll, there'll be, um, there'll be at least 10 people in there fewer than 20. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll keep, I'll keep the gyrations down. Yeah. You better not. I'll write a bad, uh, uh, <laughs> I know. Ticketmaster review. <laughs> what was the word I was looking for? Not Ticketmaster. I um, what everyone reviews products on the website. I'm not going to end the show until one of us figures oh. out the name of it. Would everybody reviews products? Yeah, like you buy a product and you write a review online. What is the company that we all write it on? I will say Etsy, Amazon. Reddit. Etsy. Reddit. Reddit. Fine, we'll stick with Reddit. All right, fine. All right. Okay. Well, this was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. And if people want to find your stuff, where do they go? Dude, I'm, I'm a terrible self-promoter. I don't, I don't have a website. You know, my stuff is hit and miss. You can go on YouTube and search for me. My own YouTube page doesn't have a lot of my own content. But if you just put my name in there, that shit comes up. A lot right. of this phone video. Listen, I was always a hired gun. I'm not an artist. You know, I don't have six solo albums it's not like that i'm the guy you call if you need somebody to help you sound good i guess you know well you so. were, um, i've watched your videos you're damn good so thank you brother thank you absolutely you have a great night thanks you too david good night Bye -bye. good night